Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 379, and I am joined this week by a lovely gentleman, Blake Harrison, known by many as Neil from the Inbetweeners, and I was delighted to have this chat. Me and Blake, as we talk about, initially met, essentially, or we (laughs) we became aware of each other because of a a shitstorm on Twitter that we were were both locked in not aware of each other i've been a fan of blake for years i love the inbetweeners and as we discussed numerous other projects of his but there was a, a shitstorm on twitter that we were both at the eye of but then blake went on stew stew whiffin's podcast and when they finished recording they ended up talking about ufc and they became little ufc buddies so they decided to start an mma podcast the mma fan podcast and I was the first guest on that, but prior to being a guest on it, we just did a Zoom call, just having a bit of a chat about um, events that had happened recently and just our love of MMA. So that's kind of how we met. And again, I, I, I love things like that because you never know how you're going to meet someone. When I was watching the Inbetweeners years ago and MMA years ago, I would never have thought that the, 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 that would be my route to... To, to, to palling up with with one of those guys so it was lovely and as you'll hear from this chat it's just chatting with an old pal even though prior to this we'd had two conversations ever but um yeah i've obviously i've listened to him alone talking to one of my old pals so maybe that influences it just just do whiffing on the mma podcast mma fan podcast which i recommend you give a listen but yeah i think you you're going to enjoy this we get into everything obviously we get into in between us stuff we get into other acting stuff we get into g- g- general world and family stuff and we get into a little bit of mma at the end just to uh to give you a treat but yeah obviously you can head over to patreon.com slash scroobius pip if you want to support the podcast it's only a dollar or a dollar fifty or something a month um but you can also head over to speechdevelopmentrecords.com. I've got some surprises coming over there soon that a lot of you are going to be excited about. I've revealed those surprises to the Patreon crew because we do a Zoom call every now and then and just hang out for an hour or so. So yeah, j- j- join the Patreon for that kind of business. But also head over to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and you can get everything, all sorts of merch. If you're a fan of the podcast, there's podcast merch. There's also Scroobius Pip merch. There's Speech Development Records merch. As it's starting to get hot, obviously the ever-selling-out sunglasses are a popular one. But we've also got, we've genuinely got swimwear over there, man. That's how deep I go with my unusual ideas for merch. So swimsuits and swim shorts for whoever wants either. And uh, sunglasses, caps vests all sorts of good summer stuff so head over get, get get yourself all kitted out for the eventual potential leaving of the house but let's get on with the podcast this is episode 379 of the distraction pieces podcast with the wonderful blake harrison Right, 
I'm here today with Blake Harrison. How are you, sir? I'm very good, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, how have you been during this this weird year or so? We were talking just now about um, kind of acting starting to get more normal in a way. I guess acting is one of the few things that's managed to to keep going in some way during the pandemic. But how's it how's it all been for you? Family, work, everything. It's been a real mixture. Work wise, has been it's been problematic. Uh, because I've had three jobs postponed because of COVID. And I say postponed, I hope they are just postponed. Uh, There's always the possibility that, you know, the longer they're postponed, will they get cancelled? Of course. And so, you know, you you take a hit financially, which sucks. But the flip side to that is I'm in a privileged position where I'm, I'm quite sensible with my money. And I knew that at the start of the pandemic, well, if I don't, work much this year it's not the end of the world we can kind of get by and and things will be all right but what you can't save is that I don't want to sound too dramatic with it oddly um but that feeling of kind of self-worth that you get from not only just working but also working in a profession that you love and that kind of creative nourishment I sound like such a wanker that but that you know what I mean though don't you like that creative nourishment that you get when when you're not working are oh, like in terms of um you know mental health is a big thing uh on everyone's agenda and 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 something that's in the public consciousness now more than than ever i guess but i have to think back to whenever i've been at my lowest it's usually been because i'm not working and you know there's a there's a lot of me and i think a lot of actors out there that tie a lot of their self-worth to the job that they do mm-hmm. and I, th- I think sam neil said something recently uh something about like he doesn't call himself an actor because then he's he's tying him his his sense of self to the job where what he says is he 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 like he does acting or he acts for money. I'm probably paraphrasing there, but like you know, that's that's his profession. But it's not who he is. He's not an actor. He's someone that gets paid to act type thing. Yeah. And I think that sort of just hearing someone say something like that kind of helped me a little bit because there's loads of other things that I can say that I am either just a yeah. good human. I'm a father. I like to think I'm a good father. I'm a husband and all these things. You know, I'm a I'm a generous lover. Pip, you know, it's just. It's I was going to say, you didn't mention good husband there. You mentioned good on the rest of them. You're still struggling on that. You're doing your best. Uh, did, we all do our best. We all do our best. So that's the main thing. It's 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 really interesting because I think it's tough. I think it's quite a working class thing at times of feeling that your worth is based on what work you do and when you're working. And I think with this industry acting anything in the arts there's always a back of the mind idea no matter how hard you work that it's not a proper job that you're not working in a factory you're not doing real work and i think it's it can be when you're in the middle of it it's amazing and rewarding but yeah in those breaks and those gaps it can make you doubt yourself i've said to numerous mates in this period remember who the fuck you are and it, i don't yeah. mean it in an arrogant way at all just as as you say we so much of our identity can be our job and when we're off from that it can be really hard to remember why we do this who we are i uh, weirdly i had a period a while back where i was on like a six-week period of not being on set in isolation and the thing that brought me out of it 
<laughs> this is so sad. I did some work on my IMDb page, Blake. I spruced it up a bit. I added the music videos on there. I did things like it, it was such a stupid thing that no one else knows about. I didn't share it out there, but I just spent yeah. some time going, oh, here's the music videos that I directed some of these or I, I, I wrote yeah. this or I did that. And adding them on there, it was a really good thing for me of going, all right, I'm not just this weirdo who sits in an Airbnb on his own and creeps about at night are taking photos and not having any human interaction. It's really, and things like that, I think can be important for everyone in such a a discombobulating time or a disruptive time where we do kind of so much of who we are and what we are is ripped apart. And yeah, it's important to, to find those things, I guess. Yeah. I mean, going, going back to what you're saying, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I've, I've never worried about it not being a, 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 a proper job per yeah. se like i've just kind of gone oh this is what i really want to do yeah and i'm really massively privileged and fortunate that i'm able to do it and someone's paying me for it but i definitely think there's that working class thing of oh this might be my last job yeah. i've still not got a I'm, I'm not kind of past that point of going like like i was mentioning earlier that i think you know, i've got the privilege that if if I didn't work much for a year, we were going to be okay as a family. But I still do need to work yeah. soon. There's a finite time of, yeah. of not earning that you have. And so I'm always kind of thinking, well, this job might be my last. And that's not just frightening because where's my money coming from after this? Mm-hmm. But it's also down to the fact that I suppose there's a lot of myself that you, you and I'm, I think I think most actors suffer from this as well I don't think I'm alone but you have that sort of imposter syndrome thing where you'll do a job hope to god that you're good in it and if uh anyone says you're not or, or, or if you then don't work for a few months afterwards you're like oh I've been found out they've realized I'm shit so yeah, it's completely. not that so so now I'm like I'm not only not earning and that's worrying but also this job that I absolutely love so much and is such a big part of of who I am, uh, or, or, or I, I probably tie myself too much to, to, to that job or that occupation. That may not come back now just out of people choosing not to have you back or something like that. Yeah. And that's, that's really scary as well. I think that's in a way slightly scarier than the money because yeah. I think I'd go, oh, well, you know, the Amazon are always looking for delivery drivers now. If I sit in a car listening to podcasts all day, and you know, I, I'll I'll be sad that I'm not acting, but that can bring some money in. Yeah. But I'll be more sad about the not acting than the either you know the the the, the money I am or aren't earning. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really interesting one. This it's something I wanted to kind of pick your brains on because that must have been a strange kind of l- learning curve in a way. Because the reality of this industry is the vast amount of projects don't continue you know you might get one series or do one film don't have the success that that you expect that that is the reality of this industry it's not what we see from the outside because we generally only see the successful ones that's because they're the successful ones we don't necessarily see all the tiny ones that so many amazing people work so hard on and either it, it was amazing or it didn't quite come together the reality is it's why like i never slag f- films or tv off because yeah. you realize it's really fucking hard to make a good t- 
TV show or a good or a good film. It's like it's not as simple as oh, we've got a good script and good actors. Even there can be so many other things that that can get in the way with that. But in between us was like your second ever gig, and it was yeah. wonderful and a huge success. So you must have had a moment of going, oh man, this is easy. This industry, this is you 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 get on a show, everyone loves it. They tell you you're great. It, it it grows and grows and grows and grows, and then that isn't kind of the reality of the of the industry. I think sort of yes and no. Yeah. So after doing the Inbetweeners, I like we all. You've had James on the show. I'm sure you've yeah. like he's yeah. told. Like he went back to fitting kitchens. I ended up going to Madame Two Swords and getting a job at a scare chamber. I think Joe Thomas was like tutoring maths or something like that. Like we all just did the first series of Inbetweeners and then went. Oh, that was really great. Someone's paid me to act. I was so happy about that. Oh, what a lovely experience. And back to reality. Let's do, we go back to our day jobs. And it took ages for the show to come out. We started filming it in like September of 2007. It didn't come out till like May of 2008. Yeah. So there was a huge period of time before it came out. And then it came out and it did fine, but no one was that bothered about it. It was a real natural grower wasn't it? Because I remember it really just bubbling and, and bubbling, particularly at the time I was doing a lot of gigs with like Kate Nash, whose songs would get yeah. used on there a lot. Of yeah, yeah, like yeah. It was this real kind of, it felt like in between us came up w- with that scene, that, that, yeah. th- that, those artists who were kind of bubbling under and then suddenly yeah. after all this work became the biggest things in the world. In between us had that feeling. It was kind of this thing that, that bubbled over and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. It felt like it grew incredibly slowly, but there was a turning point maybe around about, about I think before the third series came out, because they started asking us to do adverts for it. And I mean, like, like normally adverts for a show would be clips of the show. Yeah, and I remember yeah, for the third series, they got us, they've made us film this like really fancy advert for the show and we were like we'll just use some clips it's and i'm sure we all had conversations reading the script for the <laughs> advert going none of this is anywhere near as funny as the show so why yeah. are you making us do this but you could tell that there was like people were excited about the idea of it coming out and then i think i might be wrong but i think the first episode of series three was the fashion show i think right. and it's where joe has one i might bollock yeah, yeah, hanging out of it yeah, I, I don't know what to yeah, say yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he has one bollock hanging out of his uh, <laughs> uh like spandex yeah. pants that is the day i most regret not being in i wasn't in that day and i so wanted to be in <laughs> it sounds really weird but i would have loved to see his ball just flopping around up on that yeah. stage 100 um, percent. also that i don't think they told anyone in the audience what was coming because they had loads of essays so they shot right. the audience first yeah. not letting them know what was going on and so all the reactions were like real. Like yeah. everyone was completely shocked at what they were seeing. And then they turned around and did Joe doing his stuff. But yeah, that once, once particularly episode one of series three came out, there was such a thing about it. And I think I'd maybe recently joined Twitter or something as well. So I was like, oh, like people are talking about it. It's quite a big deal. And I think I heard that we did well in the ratings and all this stuff. And then I was like, yeah. oh no, we're, we're on like a proper popular show, but I think, as you said, when people ask you about it, they're like, oh, overnight success. It's like, well, no, because, you know, I did, went back to Madame Two Swords. I did a couple of episodes of The Build and I worked in an office for a bit. Then we did series two. And then I did a couple of really small 
jobs and and stuff to just kind of tide me over and and then series three comes along and you're like oh now from series three was the time where we kind of got paid the kind of money where you go oh i can now turn down like day jobs and go yeah. no I'm, I'm i'm an actor now that's it yeah. that's all i do now is is act I, I i will quite happily just audition 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 and never work in an office or a madam two swords or whatever it is for you know a year or two or whatever because i've got this money in the bank that will see me through for the year yeah you know, that was that it's it's, it's really interesting that because again just uh, when i was going over the imdb i saw the bill on there and that is again i love that that's kind of the the workshop of the british acting industry yeah. everyone i've had on um, from michael fassbender james mcavoy all of these people have all been on the bill at some point but it's really interesting because it hadn't occurred to me that you would have shot in the first season of in between us before you did the bill because yeah. the bill is a quick turnover it's yep. it's a week in week out whereas a new show particularly comedy as you say it'll often be they'll get it all and then you know it'll it will take a while to come out so yeah that's mad to think that you'd done this show and had no idea if it was gonna be anything if it'll work and then- i remember people asking me like oh like what's it like i was like oh it's kind of like two pints of lager and a packet of crisps it's kind of like just like rude humor and yeah. i just i didn't think any i really didn't think it would necessarily do anything yeah but it really did and it really kind of became part of the zeitgeist and stuff like as it, it it's one of those shows that has genuinely influenced language, as as crazy yeah. as that sounds, but but slang and parlance and all sorts of stuff. So much of the stuff in the in between has has had that effect. How does that kind of feel to to hear stuff, you know, c- casually, not necessarily people quoting it to you because you're because because you're Neil as such, but how was that? It's weird because because you think, well, I don't feel like I've given the world anything great like it's like the word clunge or people shouting bus wankers at people standing at a bus stop like i'd kind of rather people didn't do that it doesn't feel like the nicest thing in the world or the best thing in the world to have contributed to but um (laughs) but then again when you hear like someone you respect or like a sportsman or like uh i don't know just someone on on the mainstream because i think in a weird way in between there's kind of maybe has become a bit mainstream but it also still feels quite cultish uh to me it's pro- probably because of those early days of it just being a few people that were interested in it it's 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 kind of as you said it doesn't feel as it was pitched as a hit no you know what i mean it feels like it was pitched as here's this show it's a bit different it's a bit left field it'll be on yeah. late at night yeah there you go it doesn't feel like you know there's a lot of pressure on a lot of your big sitcoms or whatever that are new that it's like well, this is our new, this is going to be the new Friends or this is going to be the yeah. new uh, this or that. It felt like it was meant to be a little side thing that then did yeah. far better than anyone expected. Well, yeah, absolutely. And and in terms of people using phrases and stuff, when it is someone very popular that comes out with like a something friend or a whatever, you go, oh, that is, that is kind of cool. So you clearly like the show I'm in and, and yeah. you might you might think I'm funny. That's That's really... That's really nice. You can't you can't not like that. You 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 can't get fed up of that. That's really lovely. Yeah. So so what was your route in in into acting then? Was that always as a kid? That was always what you wanted to do because you grew up in Peckham. 
I grew right. up in Peckham, yeah, uh, and there was no one in that area that I was aware of that you know was in any way getting into acting or anything yeah. like that. It was. It's 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 a weird one because normally on this I'm saying acting isn't a, a, a realistic goal in working class areas, but Peckham's a weird one. I mean, despite the fact my mum and dad's first flat was above the chicken shop on Peckham High Street, um, <laughs> so 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 I know Peckham well, but South London and that kind of area it did suddenly have the Brit school and, 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 and that yeah. gave working class people a realistic thing of, Oh, I can become an actor or, or be in the film industry or music industry. So I think it, it is a weird one there because it is a very working class area, but there is that little hint of it's kind of an option. So yeah. How was that for you? Did you have to find it yourself, like your own options or, I I have to credit my mum with a load of stuff because she knew I wanted to do it from an early age and she just looked for places for me to go. So like right. my my nan live, lived in Broccoli and uh, there was a place down the road from her that was just like this tiny little venue where they did like kiddies drama classes. So I started going there on like a Wednesday night or something like that. And then I moved on to doing saturday school stuff with like performing arts saturday schools and then i went to the brit school when i was 14 and so just slowly but surely my mum went oh he's interested in this let me look up some clubs and then when she talks to the mums or whatever at the other clubs they go oh this one's meant to be good and she goes oh i'll I'll start taking him there and then there's another even better one oh now i'll start taking him there and you know and and you know considering that we weren't like a high earning family you know we lived on a council estate in peckham she and, and my dad as well. They they found the money to help me do this thing that I was really interested in in doing, and so that's I think that's a lot down to my mum going. I just want to give my kids any opportunity that 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 they want, anything they want to pursue. I want I want to know that they've had the chance to do it, and she really worked hard to do that. So I'm forever thankful for that. You know, I love that, and I love the kind of pre-internet like like searching yeah. there if you go somewhere and you find out somewhere else i remember f- from the early days of, of me me doing spoken word i'd go to an open mic night and i'd know there's only going to be 10 people in the crowd but i'd also know that at least f- five of them would have their own spoken word night so, so, so that's how i'd find the next one or find yeah. the next thing rather than i look them all up online and 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 yeah. cherry pick it's like no you do one you go to one to find out about the one that's a bit better and then you go to that one and you find out about the one that's a bit better. And that's, I, I, I love that kind of route of just getting out there and trying anything rather yeah. than, is this good or not? It's like, let's go and find out. Yeah. And that was it. And I'm sure she took me to a couple of places. I remember some that may be more specialized in like dance stuff. And I was like the only boy in the ballet class or something. Brilliant. And I was like, fuck this. I, I was like nine years old, just looking around me with like a proper sulky, moody face. And my mum's like, looking back now, I'm like, my mum's paid money to send me to this like class or whatever. And I'm just looking, like staring daggers at her while she watches on the sideline going, everyone's in a leotard and I am not getting in a leotard. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, so it's probably a very ungrateful little shit at times. They've all got to be really good lessons as well though right particularly for some of the weird sh- shit you you had to do in the in-betweeners the the only member of 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 the four of you guys i've not met or had on here is joe and 
everyone I know who knows Joe says he's the most awkward human in the world, which makes it mind blowing <laughs> that I didn't he does want to these. Say. <laughs> he does these huge. Like again, I thought of it as you were talking about the bollocks scene, and the crowd didn't know yeah. what was going to happen. I can imagine he he didn't have to do any acting there because the awkwardness <sighs> would have a hundred percent been really in him. Joe is someone. I hope he hears this. Joe is someone I'm genuinely in awe of when it comes to comedy because i you know i i think some people might have criticized some of our acting early on in the show um yeah some some of those comments might be fair but joe has this way about him that if you nail what joe is and what joe does as a comedic performer no one can touch him yeah. No one could. No one can do what Joe does. People can do what I did in the Inbetweeners, but I've seen a lot of people do it badly. But I know yeah, that people can do it well as well. I think people can do what James does, and I think we've seen incarnations of other comedic performers coming up that can do a kind of Simon Bird esque thing. I think yeah. in a weird way, Simon's probably inspired a lot of it. A bit like how you know uh, uh, Gervais's David Brent brought on a, a bunch of younger comedians that go, oh, I'm going to do the Brent thing, even subconsciously. Yeah. I think there's younger comedians now that just have a bit of a, a Will McKenzie about them, even if it's subconsciously. I agree, yeah. Um, but Joe, I don't think anyone can do Joe. I, yeah. I really don't think they can. And even in, in Festival, the, the film Festival yeah. that he did, there's just moments where I go, Joe, you're just so funny. And I, and I look at it and I go, I would like, you know, I like to think of myself as an actor that can do a variety of things or see things different way or different ways of doing things. I, I try and think about options of doing things. And I go, I would never have come up with the Joe Thomas option. Yeah. Never in my life would <laughs> yeah. I have come up with that option of that facial expression or that. And I think he's just brilliant. So I, um, yeah, I hope he hears this. He probably yeah. won't, but yeah, I hope he does because I genuinely am. I think he's, I think he's fantastic at what he does. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and, and you're right there because his character in in between us has the least on paper, if you know what I mean, or the least that you can describe. He's playing the everyman as such. And, and yeah. Each other character, you've got the lad, you've got the nerd, you've got the kind there's of, archetypes, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, there's archetypes. Whereas he's very much the straight man of sorts, but he gets yeah. so much out of it and yeah. and drives so many of the of, of of the iconic scenes so yeah yeah i think damon beasley has said maybe in interviews before that after the first series because of what joe was like they realized they had to make simon weirder <laughs> so <laughs> i think that's really funny <laughs> it's like oh we've cast this guy we're gonna definitely have to make this character weirder because but that's the beauty of any comedy in like a second series is is the writers write the first series knowing what they want the characters to be, but mm -hmm. they write the second series knowing what the actor makes the character and yeah. what they're bet And that's when, you know, that's, that's why it's such a shame when a lot of comedies don't get second series because the first series is, is usually like a feeling out process between the writers and the performers and stuff like that yeah. and, and the, the tone of the show. And then second series, third series, you can really go somewhere with it. I mean, I'm I'm rewatching the American Office at the moment. I, mm. me and my wife can't get enough of the American Office, and I know for a lot of British comedy fans that's sacrilege, but I love it. I think it's I, fantastic. I, I, I think purely because of the amount of it, it's 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 the best of of the because the consistency is amazing. So consistent, yeah. Oh, it's incredible, and the perform. I mean, Steve Carell is is just 
I haven't got the words for how good Steve Carell is in it, but also John Krasinski's so brilliant as as the straight yeah. man in it. Rain Wilson's great in it. Uh, uh, Jenna Fisher. They're, they're all. There's all. We're all really good in it. And um, I can't even remember why I was talking about that now. But but that was it because the first series of the American Office, I think, is trying to be too much of the British Office. It's it's why I didn't see it for years and years. I yeah. started on the American one and went, Nah, this isn't. Yeah. This isn't right. And then years later, came back and went, oh, wow. And if you've recently watched the British one, it, yeah. it jars. Yeah, completely. But, but you watch from series two onwards and you go, oh, they found it. They found what works and it's gold dust. Yeah. Do you think comedies get more of a chance at that because of the nature of them generally being shorter and cheaper to make? I'm just thinking there's, there's a lot of, of, I think, with dramas, it's often quite big budget. And therefore, you need to succeed immediately or yeah. out the window. Do, do you think in between has got that time to grow because it was quite a low budget show? No, what like there wasn't tons of pressure on it. As as we said, it wasn't like it was being pushed as here's our new show. It's going to be the biggest thing. It, you know, it, it it had that room maybe. I honestly don't know. Yeah. I really, I, I I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I don't think I've been that side of a project enough yeah. to, to kind of really know the difference between the, the, the comedy and the drama and, and the, 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 um, the process of recommissioning and all that stuff. I, you know, like a lot of actors, the power is very much out of your hands. As much as you're kind of pampered a little bit at times, um, you're very much a very, in a lot of ways, a small cog in, in the machine. You know, you, you are, unless you are, you know, Steve Carell after a couple of series or something. A lot of the time, you you are sort of replaceable in a way, and so yeah, I don't I don't know. I really don't know how to answer that. So so, how was it then when it did blow up? Because it's a show that was embraced by the youth, and the characters were so embraced and so unavoidable. Um, but you're not necessarily the character. I I, I know m- m- me and James really hit it off because. We're both proper boring cunts. Um, like, like, like J- James isn't like Jay. He isn't the, the he isn't going to be this. Come on, lads! And I always remember when Stu would go out and DJ with him. It was it was t- a, a tough at times because he'd try and find that middle ground between himself, who's just a music fan and l- loves it, and Jay, who's going to be pretending to party all the time at the, the very least. But there was I know that there was a lot of pressure there to to be that character. Neil is as much of a, I'd imagine there's as much a pressure because he's the one, it feels like that Jay is pretending to be the party guy. Neil is happily the party guy if the party happens to be there and someone takes him to the party. So how was that as, as Blake as kind of it suddenly blowing up? As you said, you just jumped on social media at that point. It's your first, show that's gone like this how was yeah, that i don't know i think at the time i wasn't really thinking about that i was thinking what's the next job what's the next job and yeah. and also slightly going because you know I, I went to drama school and stuff and I, as much as i love comedy i wanted to do a lot of drama so i'm like right how can i now pull away from this character that i'm start being recognized for playing mm-hmm. and, and be taken seriously and things and you know it's it's not always easy to take a character that is relatively one 
know at times. Like at least with with I remember James having a couple of moments that were quite poignant within the series where Jay's um, armor comes off and you see yeah. him get really upset about something. Uh, whether it be his relationship with his dad or a girl breaking say, up with him, with his dad, there's some real moments yeah. there, yeah. And he and he gets to 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 really show a bit more range there. Whereas I specifically remember an episode where Neil thinks that he's got a girl pregnant, and I was playing it like Neil was really upset about this. Like that's his life over. I'm 16 years old and I've I've got a girl pregnant. I'm I'm. I'm in so much trouble. This is all going really wrong for me. I remember Ian Morris just coming up to me like, Blake, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm, I'm doing the scene. You know, he's, he's so upset. And all he's like, oh no, Neil doesn't give a shit. He's Neil. He said, just, just do it. Do it like Neil. I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, right. Oh, okay, fine. And so you're like, so, so then you, you've shown, it feels like just one side of yourself. And yeah. then you're trying to say to, you know, an independent film director where you're, you're playing, the villain of the piece or, uh, you know, or, or, or that kind of like, uh, I don't know, we talk about the office, that John Krasinski-esque kind of, uh, you know, not not great looking, but kind of that all right guy that's like the love interest in like a, a comedy drama or something. Like that. And you're trying to say to him, no, I, I, I can do this. But you feel like you're coming from a place of people not necessarily going to take you too seriously. So, yeah. uh so that that was tricky, and that was always just my main focus. I wasn't, all, I was never really thinking about, oh my god, we've made it, or it's massive. I was just going right. That's done, and we filmed it months ago. So all right, we've got to do a bit of press for it. But I'm kind of over it now. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to work out what my next move is, and and trying to to show people that hey, no, I'm I'm more than just that guy. I can do a variety of different things. You just got to give me the opportunity to do it. Um, so I, I was always focused on that. And in some ways, I look back on that with a, a, a mild amount of regret because I go, oh, it was quite a massive thing and I wasn't in it. I wasn't yeah. smelling the roses or enjoying it. I, it was it was background noise to me going. Yeah. I was probably trying to, I was either auditioning or working on something else at the time and just going, how can I do this to the best of my ability? Yeah. And in some in some ways, I think that's, you know, that's the right attitude to have. But in other ways, like, oh, it would have been nice to maybe just stop for a second and go, oh, look at what's going on. This is pretty awesome. And yeah. Yeah. It's a balance, isn't it? I think because I yeah. think you wouldn't have, con- you, you potentially wouldn't have continued to have the career you have if you'd spent too much time reveling in, 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 in the moment. I think that's when yeah. we see people move on to things. One of, I think, the most underrated shows in recent history is Him and Her. And again, oh, right, to, yeah. to, to get to be part of that with Russell Tovey, yeah. Sarah Soleimani, Joe Wilkinson, Kerry Howard, Ricky Chapp, all these amazing people. How was that to kind of go on to one where you're joining the already established family as as uh, as such? On the in-between, it's you four guys. There's obviously, there's Greg, there's everyone else's involvement, but this was one where they're already a, a team as such and you're j- jumping in f- in for a few days it always felt fine to me i was always yeah. just like this just part part of my job I've, I've signed up for it so i know what to expect i'm i'm not going in there as like a lead i'm going in as a smaller part i think it's possible that because i had the in-betweeners behind me i walked on set 
and the leads were were more inclined to go oh hey blake how's it going blah 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 right. it wasn't yeah, yeah, like yeah. oh it wasn't like oh there's this random here i've never seen before and yeah. to be fair, I would like to think the people you mentioned, like Russell and Kerry and, 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 and Ricky and Joe and, and Sarah Soleimani, they were going to be welcoming to everyone anyway. They, they yeah. were all really lovely people. And the majority of people I've worked with on any job have been lovely. It's very rare that I've come away from a job and gone, oh, they were a bit of a dick. I didn't like working with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and yet you hear so many stories about yeah. you know, the acting industry and tricksy actors and all that kind of stuff. And, I would say 99% of people I've worked with have all been really lovely. Mate, I've I've had exactly the same. And you hear all these horror stories of actors, directors and casting directors, that there's these nightmare ones. I've had so much, so many lovely times with all of those things. It's, yeah, it's a bizarre one. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I've, I've had a couple of ones where you go, oh, you're trying to do a uh, you and it must come from an insecurity of like they're trying to do so, like i had one where i was i'm not going to mention any names but i was filming with with someone and it was obviously it was the same scene the same jokes and uh you do it on the wide they don't laugh you do it on the two shot they don't laugh you do it on their single they don't laugh but then when it comes around to your single and i have a habit somehow of always being like right we've we've only got 20 minutes left of the day can we turn around on blake's single please and i'm always like oh, for fuck, guys why am i always the last one why am i always got the pressure but um but it happened and then it's like that person when you say the joke for literally the 25th time they start breaking down laughing like it's the funniest thing in the world and you're like I know you don't find this funny. And they're like, I'm so sorry. That just really got me that time. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, can we just do that again? And I'm like, you know, I've only got a few minutes to do this. Yeah. And I'm, and takes. that felt like an all right. And you're killing my takes. Yeah. And it's like, and it never felt genuine. And I was just like, uh, I think you're doing this to, I don't know if you feel insecure. Cause I, yeah. you know, you, at the time I was quite a bit younger. And at the time I was like, Oh, you're a dick. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I was like, this person's doing this. And I was chatting to some of the other people there and I was like, this person, I don't like them. Um, and, but now as I'm older, I'm like, oh, did you feel a little bit out of the loop or did you feel a little bit insecure about your own performances? Cause this person was very into their looks as well. Yeah. Like, you know, they'd be sorting stuff out after makeup had come in, they'd start rearranging as well. And you're like, come on we've only got so long like they've done but, their um, job yeah yeah they've they've they, you look good they've done their job trust trust yeah. in people's ability to do their job um but but yeah but that so that was like one incident i've i've had over like a career of like 13 years or whatever yeah. and like 99% of people have all just been like good at their jobs really lovely people jobs are good what what more do you need exactly i mean we spoke about imposter syndrome earlier and I, I remember watching the increasingly poor decisions of, of Todd Margaret at the time and thinking amazing cast, but I swear just going back over it, it's got better and better worth time. Cause you look at Sharon Horgan, David Cross, Will Arnett, Jack McBrayer, Sarah Pascoe, John Hamm, Janine Gruffalo, Mark Heap, Kyvan Novak, Peter Serovinovich, Jamie Dimitriou, John Bishop, Russell Tovey, Man, that was a hell of a cast to be yeah. working with in small roles, in big roles. How was that? Was that intimidating? Was there any, were there ever any moments we, we were like, oh man, 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to get found out. Like, as we were saying earlier, I'm going to get exp- like they're going to realise I don't, I, I don't belong here. Massively, I, I think to be honest, it's. I mean, I still have it now at times, especially when you know the, the phone's not ringing as as much or whatever. But definitely back then, on on every job, it I I felt like oh p- 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 people might not like people probably don't like me or uh, people don't think I'm very good. Um, I I didn't do that joke well today, and I could see it in their eyes. They they were off camera, and they were looking like, oh, I'm not getting this or something like that. And it's all me projecting it onto people. I'm sure. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> I hope it yeah. was. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, definitely. And increasingly, poor decisions of Todd Margaret is is one of those jobs I look back on and go, oh, I wish I was just a bit more confident and chilled out. But it was my first real experience of working in a slightly more americanized way yeah. of of the improvisation because obviously david cross is like a king of that will arnett i don't i, I had like one or two scenes with and the, but my, my character had so much plot that there wasn't a lot of wiggle room for improvising for me but i also didn't realize that i was kind of supposed to i had the audition and where i had to improvise but i was told oh you're going to be improvising in this bit let's just improv a bit i was like okay great then when i get onto set no one says okay we're going to improvise now it was just we did the scene i did the lines and because i had quite a fair amount of plot at times i learned the line and i learned the lines really strictly back then this is a long time ago now and i i I learned them to a point of like there's no if i was being tortured i could just say those lines like that's how embedded in my brain they were yeah um but it meant that then if I'm in the middle of the scene and David Cross says something completely left field, I didn't know whether I was coming or going. Yeah. I was like, uh, and because uh, I was trying to find my way back to the script. But what I should have done is gone, David's doing his thing now. Let me chuck the script out and just respond to what he's saying. But yeah. because no one explicitly told me that that's like what we were meant to be doing, I didn't understand. And so... Right. I, I I do feel at times I, I I do feel at times I was like oh have I let the side down here or I didn't really and it, but then there would be days that go by where oh all we did was the script so yeah. it, it, there was no opportunity to improvise or I didn't feel like I had the license to improvise anyway because again in between us I came from that was so scripted to the point where sometimes the writers would come in and be like it's it is not it's because mm-hmm. the rhythm of this and you're like so when you go from something like that to a situation where you're asked to kind of like learn the lines but then throw the lines away and just do whatever i found that quite a struggle at times but i do think having said that that experience has made me better now and there's times now where i know that if i have to improvise on a job or that there's a possibility for improvising on a job i'll both look at a script and come up with alt lines for myself where i go that could be a funny one. That could be a funny one. And if I'm teed up for it, I might just lay this out there. Yeah. Or I'll go, do you know what? Learn it, but but be prepared to just listen and respond yeah. and don't, you know. Um, and so, to, but that was a learning curve. But in a way, I think it's, it's, I don't know if I want to call it a failure because I kind of think the show did well and I think I was good enough in it. I think I was all right. Great. Yeah. Um, well, thanks very much. But, um, but so I don't, yeah, so I don't, failure would be a strong word, but there's definitely, lessons i've taken from it where i've gone oh i think having that experience which at the time felt like a negative experience and i felt disappointed in myself i've taken that and grown and become better because of it so that's a good thing it's really interesting and and i guarantee there's points 
on that job where you did the exact opposite of what you think you did? Because knowing a few mates who show run and stuff like that, sometimes their absolute worst nightmare is the improvisation because they'll, they'll, they'll get so many, it'll be hilarious on the day, but it won't sit in with what the point of that scene was. It won't progress the story in the way it needed to. So the, I, I guarantee there would have been points where the showrunner or editor or whoever else is, is getting the rushes from the day and they'll be like, thank God Blake was keeping this on on track. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, thank God the story was here. Because again, yeah. it's it, it's such a weird one and it is the, the beauty of artists like David Cross and things like that is they will go off on these amazing, amazing tangents, but it's not their job to think about the bigger picture in that moment obviously overall yeah. it is but in that yeah, moment yeah, yeah. they need to submit to the the, the 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 art completely so that can end up being an absolute n- nightmare as said it would work perfectly as a standalone sketch but for what we're doing as a as a whole episode or series it can look and lose stuff so yeah i'm sure that was there's 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 both sides of that in many yeah. ways of of how that would have went well, I've, I've become quite obsessed with watching like so, like outtakes and behind the scenes stuff of a lot of the like Judd Apatow stuff since yeah. since that since doing that job because they always have like the the linorama section of the DVD extras or whatever and um, <laughs> there's always like I remember I think it was like uh, this is forty the yeah. the Leslie Manpour which I love that movie so much brilliant I movie. think it's so yeah. brilliant um, and I think it's like. Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann, who are married, they're at the hotel after like they've ditched the kids for a little bit, and they're like, "Oh my god, we do love each other because look, without the stresses of the kids, we're having like the best time." And they're having like the like this amazing kind of they're having great sex and they're eating great food and they're doing this stuff. And I I can't remember the context of what it was, but you can see in the lineorama, like say for example, Paul Rudd is saying like, "Oh God, this person smells like a badger's vagina." But then it'll go, this person smells like a badger's vagina. Cut. This person smells like an octopus's prolapsed arsehole. Cut. This person smells like... And, and then you'll hear someone say, like, someone else will shout. And in my head, in my, my maybe naive head, I'm like, it's the boom op. The boom op's just come up with a gag. And he's just shouting it out. And he's like, say this. Say that. I think Eastbound and Down has it as well, where you've yeah. got uh, uh, Danny McBride, like, saying something. And then someone just shouts, say this. And then he goes... Oh, bloody, bloody, blah. Then they pause for a second. He goes, now say it like, now say this line instead. And you're like, oh, this is awesome. It's yeah. such a collaboration. Everyone is just chipping in. I would love to do something where it's just like, look, we've got some jokes. Like even just the whole writer's room thing, which we don't have in the UK, yeah. like where people are punching up the jokes, like being on a set and going, okay, this joke's fine, but it's not massively landing. We've got three massively funny people here and you as the performer. Let's just quickly go, What what have we got? And then someone else could just walk past a, a runner or something. And go, oh, what about this? And you go, yes, that's well. Let's just try it. Let's just do it. I mean, obviously, there's the luxury of having lots of time and budget, but that would be such an exciting thing. Well, that's what I was, was, was going to say. Part part of that is on on the producer, surely, in scheduling yeah. time to go right. We've we've got it now. Let's try it t- ten different ways. Now yeah. let's spend an hour just going. Let's let's mess about with this. And play about because that is the luxury, right? Yeah, and the freedom of it. Oh my god! Yeah. Like again, that whole thing of 
because majority of the jobs I find in in England are look we're up against it guys we had that morning where we spent a long time doing that tracking shot that we maybe didn't quite need but we've spent a long time laying that track and doing that so uh, we're actually really up against it now for everything else so let's just do the scene you're getting one or two takes and we're moving on but the the freedom of thinking look we've set the cameras up we're just going to do the scene from these angles. I mean, we keep talking about the American office, but um, they, uh, you know, they clearly got their mockumentary style where it's just like the scene's going to play from these angles because that's where the camera crew would be in real life in, yeah. as, a, as a documentary. So they probably got loads of takes of doing that stuff. How yeah. brilliant would that be to just be with your mates going, ah, oh, we all think each other's really funny and good at our jobs. And we think this script is really great. We're just going to do it a couple of times and then we're going to come and just muck about and do it in a similar way, but with different lines and different dynamic. And I'm going to throw a look at you and, yo, you haven't spoken all day. Why don't you, I'll look at you and you just say something and we'll see what happens. Like how much fun would that be? That'd be awesome. Amazing. And it's, it's, it's the perfect, like American office is a great example because they had such a great ensemble that you can just play about with that. And they also had the directors and, and stuff who, who who could have that kind of, yeah, that could make sure that you're not just, again, just having only having fun in the room and get it all, all to translate. Well, I mean, there's, there's loads of things I want to talk about, but there's two things in p- particular. And, and one of them is, it, I mean, it relates to, to social media, as we were talking about earlier, it relates to Peckham, as we were talking about earlier. I've, I was a fan of the Inbetweeners from the start. As I said I really enjoyed it in my touring days and all that kind of thing. But we kind of Blake rather than Neil really became kind of in my in my mindset because we were kind of on the the the, the wrong end of some anger or some positive at times and some negative at times because <laughs> we're both Millwall fans and yes, we're both. Yeah spoken out recently against some perceived racism and it's a really interesting one because we'll we'll get into it but Millwall has had a bad reputation for a long time and often it's been unfair like there's loads of yeah. really clear examples of when it's genuinely unfair and I've I've talked about that on on TV shows and all sorts of things but the problem that we have at times is sometimes it is fair and we have yeah. to acknowledge that we can't just either play the victim and go well now everyone's always hard on Millwall or play the the no one likes us or we don't care and play up to it how I guess how's that been being a Millwall fan in the in the public eye have you been going like since you were young obviously Peckham is very much it's going to be Millwall or or Charlton or maybe Palace around those ways well well I grew up about 10 minute walk from the old den which yeah. was also because it was right in the middle of it, a ten minute walk from the new den. Yeah, uh, yeah which yeah, yeah. you know, it's so it's technically Peckham, but it is kind of um, uh, it's also very close to South Bermondsey, New Cross Gate. It's but it's technically Peckham, and uh, yeah, I, I went ever since I was a kid. My dad was a, always a Millwall fan. My granddad was a Millwall fan. Uh, and my dad was a Millwall fan in the seventies and eighties, which has its own kind of connotations and stuff, yeah, which are fair connotations. Um, yeah. But um, I have to be very honest, actually, in a weird way, like we can maybe get onto this later talking weirdly, like, I think I've only realised recently because because you you came on the MMA fan podcast that I've just started up with Stu and we're talking about and and it started making me really reflect on my own kind of relationship with with violence in a weird way and and kind of 
why it interests me because all of my favorite tv shows growing up had a form of violence in them either they were like superhero cartoons yeah. or i loved wwf like wrestling it was like my favorite Same. thing as a kid yeah. yeah and then like my favorite tv show of all time still to this day is buffy the vampire slayer i yeah. mean i'm a big yeah. i'm a massive geek like i do love <laughs> the fantasy or sci-fi and all that kind of stuff but I, I love when you go, oh, this vampire is just going to do, like, he's just been bitten, so now he knows Kung Fu. And now he's going to go and do, like, all this yeah, martial arts yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. like, I love that. And now I love mixed martial arts. But I, 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 and I'm, I was wondering, like, where's this come from? Where, and, and, and I think I remember as a kid, my dad's being with, like, mates going to the pub. And we always went to the pub with my dad. It was never like an over-18s pub. It was always young. And there would be people there that knew my dad from years ago. And they'd start telling stories about going oh, away at Everton or when Leeds yeah, yeah. came down and all this stuff. And it was very glorified. And as a young kid and a teenager, I was hearing these stories and I literally remember people being like, oh, your dad was an animal or your dad was this, your dad was that. And at the time I was like, oh, that's that's cool, isn't it? My dad's really tough. And, oh, um, you know, th- 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 this is, you know, they... They went, there was only 30 of them and there was a, a hundred Scousers and, and they stood their ground and all this kind of weird, almost mm. like war stories or something. And it was only when you, you get that bit older and start to mature and you start to go, oh, this is, this is, I don't, this isn't a good thing. Like, I'm sure, it's very macho. And if that's what you want to consider the thing that makes you a man, then, you know, that's down to you. But, uh, I I think I very quickly kind of in my maybe early 20s, late teens or something, I I just realised I'm not really into this. And I started getting really fed up of I would I'd meet someone new, especially on an acting job where Mm -hmm. the the majority of people are very liberal and left wing, which is what I consider myself to be as well. But as soon as you go, well, what team do you support? I'm a Millwall fan. They'd always be like, oh, watch out. Oh, it's a hooligan. And I'm like, mate, I've just been talking to you for the last hour as like this nice, normal bloke. And I know you're only joking, but I don't know how you feel. It used to just wind me up like that same old joke. Like just, it's not funny or interesting. And I'm not taking any, I'm not taking pride from it. I'm not hearing you go, oh, watch out. Oh God, keep the bottles away from me. Whatever the stupid things that they would say. I'd be like, I'm not amused by that. And also it's a really easy assumption or like an easy joke to make it's like oh because i'm a Millwall fan i'm clearly some thuggish idiot or something and i just found it such a dumb thing for people to say and it started to wind me up you see it's interesting because i have to admit that there was a point that i fucking i loved that do you know what i mean i I loved the hard reputation that Millwall had there was a point in my youth where it was this kind of well it's a bit of a badge of honor but yeah you realize it is is ridiculous. And I think the reason we've held on to it for so long is we're one of the few clubs with kind of one of the kind of more iconic or legendary like hooligan firms that haven't really had anything else. And that's horrible yeah. to say, but your Leeds have had Europe. Uh, yeah. Your Chelsea's have had the, the Prem- West Ham have kind of had the World Cup in, in their eyes. Um, yeah. and, and all these other clubs that your Liverpool's or whoever else have had other things to pin their badge onto. And we've never really had that. We've had some amazing moments where we've been close to the top and or yeah. we've got to the final or whatever else. But, but but we've never really had that thing to 
to be our thing to yeah to hang our coat on to 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 pin our flag to other than well we're uh, we're the violent lot and and we're known for our hooligans and as you say 30 of us will stand their ground against 100 of them and it is depressing and it's yeah it's this most recent one for me was the first one that really beat me down because I've educated myself and been well aware and realistic on the fact that Millwall has done more than anyone or were were the first to complete all the steps in the in the kick it out program again I'm also realistic it's probably because we needed it more than some Mm because not specifically Millwall but South London has had a lot of race issues over the years it's one of the first places in London that the the black communities moved to the 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 Caribbean and Jamaican communities. Um, my granddad worked in a pickle factory. He was the only white person in there, and it gave us a great upbringing because yeah. he got welcomed in and got this experience of all these different cultures. But you know, in those days, in the fifties or sixties or seventies or whatever else, there was conflict. There were depressions. There were recessions. There was things like that. So I think. Millwall has always had that, but it showed how childish we can be as a club, essentially. And despite the fact, as I said, I've done a BBC thing on Millwall. I've done a, a loads of Soccer AM stuff on where we've been misrepresented. And the easiest, yep. qu- quick one f- for those who have the opinion that Millwall are just the worst. There was a, a expose in the sun that this guy had gone, this journalist had gone undercover and and watched Millwall fans doing a Nazi salute and chanting Sieg Heil. And it was this big exposure. And I was like, man, this is horrible. I've been going for years. I've never seen that. Mm. There was a redaction a month later because it turned out it was Millwall Brighton. The fans he he was looking at were the Brighton fans, and they were chanting Seagulls because Brighton are the Seagulls. And doing just a normal, like that kind of that point. Oh, my God. But it had been reported as Millwall fans doing Nazi salutes, uh, shouting Seacar. So things like that are this appalling misrepresentation. But I've also been at shows where, shows, matches, sorry, where (laughs) two or three or literally like 10 out of hundreds or thousands or whatever else, 10 or so are shouting anti-Muslim stuff or or anti-black stuff and... It's horrible, and often people will report it, and it will be dealt with. But we can't just pretend that that isn't a thing. Yeah. Um, and this most recent one that was the the booing of the um, of the taking a knee. I yeah, I spoke out and I said exactly that. I said we 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 do it to ourselves when you know it. It was our fans who uploaded the video of us booing. Like <laughs> this isn't an expose. This is our fans going. Yeah, yeah we ain't going to stand for that that um, political activist statements or whatever else. And yeah, the backlash, I know that you got as well, because yep. we were tagged in a lot, a lot of the tweets together. Yeah. It was it, it was nice having a, a brother in hate. Yeah, so. it was nice to have someone in there. <laughs> oh, it's not just me getting, you know. <laughs> yeah. But there was a lot of real hatred and abuse and threats. Um, and again, both of us having had family g- going there for years. The thing that yep. got me was feeling... I didn't want to get any of my put any of my family in a bad bad position. Cousins, yeah. uncles, parents, all this kind of thing. 
And it's just, yeah, it's just an ugly one, isn't it? Because we know from being there at times, it's a vocal minority. Yeah. But when that vocal minority is purely focused on you, <laughs> it, it doesn't feel like it's, it. It's horrible. It and, and grim. That's the thing with social media. Like, I, I, I put out, I think my tweet was something like, you know, uh, that I was just sad and embarrassed to be a Millwall fan that day. And I think uh, the 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 reason that I, I, I put that out as well was not just to say, come on, guys, we've got to be better than this, but also to say to people that are thinking, oh, all Millwall fans are like this. I was mm-hmm. That was my way of trying to show, hey, no, this is unfortunate. They're a very vocal lot, but I do believe they're the, they're the minority. I think most Millwall fans aren't aren't interested in doing that because... I mean, just if you if you feel like the BLM movement is some kind of Marxist propagandist, whatever it is that the loads of people were tweeting me all these reasons why they were right to to boo it, then that's that's your opinion. You know, I, I can't change your opinion. That's your opinion. But to Boo taking the knee. And I know there's going to be a lot of people out there that go, oh, yeah, but even even some black people have come out saying now that, you know, it's a, it's like an empty gesture or it's inconsequential or, uh, you know, or it's, it's a slightly submissive thing to do. So there's problems with that. It's like, again, if that's what you feel, then fine. That's, I suppose you're entitled to that opinion. But to openly boo, to, to, to feel one way about it is one thing. But to openly boo what the majority of the world is seeing as an anti-racist statement. Well, that's the thing that gets me is the club and the league had come out preempting this and said beforehand, the knee is not supporting any political affiliations. It is the two clubs uniting against racism. And that's it. So everyone who turns around and goes, no, I booed because of Black Lives Matter, because it's that. It wasn't that, though. They've said that it wasn't that. They're, you know, so you're just your excuse doesn't wash. But yeah, as you say, if you agree or not to openly boo, you know how that is going to look. Yeah, you know and what that will look like. You know what it will to, look like. To, you to, know it to, how how it will make to people Marlon feel. Romeo, one oh. of our black players, who came out with the most heart wrenching statement. He's been with us from day one. He's a South London lad, and he came out and said how how it made him feel. And how, yeah. how how horrible it was to be there, and he do something that he was excited to, to, to do because it's the club, all players of all races uniting together of both sides. You yeah. know, we're about to be opponents, but no, we're united in this moment against racism. And bang, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's I just, I just found it really saddening, uh, and it was a real shame. And I I I wanted the people that did it to know that I don't back them. And I wanted the people that were condemning it to also know that, hey, that that's not a representation of, of the club that I loved growing up. Yeah. You know, that is unfortunately the, the the reputation that unfortunately we have, but it's, but it's not a true reflection of who the majority of the human beings are that I've met that are Millwall fans that are my good friends. They would never, ever do that. And unfortunately, 
the people that get the headlines are the ones that always go a bit too far with things or and, not even go a bit too far, just do something horrible. And again, to be clear, I've been to hundreds or thousands, really, of games where there's not been any racism, any violence, anything I would deem inappropriate. But there's been a handful of games that there has been, and that's still too much. That's still yeah. t- that's still t- uh, are too many. No matter how small a percentage or small a minority, there shouldn't be any in this day and age. It's madness. But let's m- move on to nicer things and purer things. Let's talk a little bit of MMA. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> let's move on, on to, uh, to violence. Now, I'll, I'll wrap up with this, but the reason we've kind of come into contact face-to-face is you've started an MMA podcast. Um, yeah. And the story of it was beautiful, hearing it from Stu, your bl- bl- blossoming bromance after how you were on <laughs> his on 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 his off the beaten track and you you got onto mma after the recording and then kind of ended up going i've not got anyone to talk about this with can we yeah can we talk about it <laughs> so we, sad Stu was like i've been jumping on 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 zoom with blake after most events i'm like have you i mean that's lovely yeah. but that seemed completely out of, out of left field but it's fucking perfect and it's why he turned around and went uh, let's make these chats a podcast so yeah i mean that well it's, it's exactly that i you know, and I don't know if you find this as well, being in the acting industry, MMA is not, you know, massively popular with the no. people that I work with and know day to day. You get the odd person, but it's very rare. And I, I'm not just, you know, I don't just watch the odd card. I watch them every week. I listen to multiple MMA podcasts with the latest breaking news, all of the insights into the fight, who should be fighting who next. I've got big opinions on it that are probably a load of rubbish because let's be honest I'm, I'm me and Stu make it very apparent on the podcast we are not journalists we are not yeah. ex-fighters or, or coaches or anything like that we've never set foot in an octagon we are just huge huge fans and you know we, we wanted it to be very much a kind of light-hearted look at MMA but like something that if you're a big MMA fan you can listen to it and go oh these boys do know their stuff to a point <laughs> and yeah. uh and and they're talking about something i'm interested in but also if you're new to the sport if you've only just watched a few cards and you want to get into something some of the other card podcasts might be a bit too heavy whereas we're going oh no we're just two mates having a chat about it but also we're doing things like getting a quote unquote i hate the word but like celebrity friend on who's uh never watched an mma fight before we give them a classic fight to watch and then they come on the show and talk about their preconceptions of, of, of MMA, which are usually a kind of this thing of, oh, I thought it was like two brutes that were probably like just got off their shift of bouncing at the local nightclub that just go and lump each other for a bit. Yeah. And then we give them this classic fight to watch and then they usually at the end of it go, it was far more technical than I thought it would be. I got far more invested than I ever thought I would. And there is, you can't get away from there is a brutality to it, but there's also a real beauty to it. I mean, it's, 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 it's what, it's what I, I, I think it's a g- g- genius part to have on the podcast. Cause again, there's, there's hundreds of football podcasts that are just fans talking about f- football and there aren't, there doesn't seem to be so many MMA ones. There probably are yeah. that I've just n- n- not known about. Yeah. So I want that anyway, but the bit that makes it so great is the, f- as you say, the fight or flight thing where you, yeah. you, you uh, the one, the last one, as we recalled this with Laura Ch- uh, Checkley was so good. Cause again, she literally, as you say, came in completely like, Oh, I remember 
I remember hearing of cage fighting back in the day and she's thinking of just big blokes, blood and guts. And you gave her the, a, 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 a Joanna Janjacek, I've mangled that name, um, and Waylee <laughs> Yang or Yang Wei um, their fight. And again, it is a fight that's got the brutality, but it's also, it's so technical. It's two absolute athlete women going in there and putting on a display. And it was so good to hear her journey of, of watching that fight, of coming yeah. in, expecting one thing, and then going on and on and going, man, I, I've got so much respect. And again, these are genuinely inspirational athletes, men oh, and women. I think that yeah. the, what they, the way they did, dedicate themselves to such a complex sport that has got so many facets is yep. is stunning and yeah it's I, I love that section as yeah as a key part of it because it really yeah it it it, sh- it shows that because again particularly in the uk it's taken it's newer over here still so yep. the education on it has taken longer it's getting there but it's taken longer so yeah it's great to see that that it's not just lads yeah lads talking about scraps and then he broke his leg fucking brilliant no yeah no because because the sport deserves better than that in my opinion you know it it's called mixed martial arts and i mean i was furious not that i've got a, a, a right to be furious with meryl streep but i remember in one of her awards a few years back she was talking about uh, i think trump's immigration policy and she had a particular very valid point and, and i was slightly annoyed when she then uh went on to say because if this happens and this happens you know we'll only be left with like football and mixed martial arts which by the way is not the arts and i was like oh you're coming from slightly an uneducated position there aren't you, yep. you you've never you don't know sat this. down with a mixed martial artist and talked about what they've gone through to not ju- just their, their own personal stories which are sometimes harrowing sometimes beautiful did these stories of of redemption and and coming from nothing and achieving so much and how martial arts as as a discipline has, has given them focus and and saved their lives in some situations they could have been in dire straits without this skill in their life and and this this pathway laid out for them that's such a difficult pathway to tread but they they do it and 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 they've they've completely restructured their their whole life and and sometimes the lives of 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 their children their grandchildren because they've earned more money than they ever would have done Mm. had they not trod this path and 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 when you see the good of some people, you've got Dustin Poirier with the with the the Good Fight Foundation. You've got Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's you know jokingly that the night the NMF, the nicest yeah. mofo in in in, in MMA, yeah. and he's, he's you know teaching kids all the time karate and and, and self defense and all this stuff. So we are, we we Stu and I chatted to uh, Paddy Pimblett the other day yes. and he's very open about mental health issues yeah. and um some of his friends have, have, have sadly passed away uh through through um uh, uh suicide and uh he was talking uh about like raising money to 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 help with awareness of, of particularly men's mental health and about you know opening up and talking about it and he was very open and honest with us and these these are just some of these these are just you you get the dickheads and some of them are, are high profile you get that in any profession and particularly yeah. in sport you know you, you get them you can't yeah. shy away from that fact and unfortunately some of them are very high profile and some of them are seen as some of the best but yeah 
I would say the vast majority are just beautiful, good human beings that want to not just achieve their goal of becoming a champion or the best in the sport or the best version of them that they can be, but they're also trying to make the world around them a better place as well. And they get such a bad rap because of maybe what's gone before, because of the days of slightly unregulated um, Mm -hmm. fight nights and tournaments where it probably was your local bouncer that went in there for a tear up. But but the, the sport has come such a long way since then. And, you know, also we spoke about it with Laura Checkley on the podcast. The, to me, and, and you might know more about this than me and you could educate me on this, but MMA to me feels like one of the best sports in the world for gender equality mm-hmm. in terms of the pay, the, yeah. the fame you get. Like I could, I, I would say the majority of men in England are football fans. I bet you the majority of those men could not mention more than five current female footballers mm-hmm. out of, gosh, hundreds that there must be. You get a, a, an MMA fan and you say to them, name me 20 mixed martial artists without even thinking they will name women because yeah. some of the women are the best fighters, not just in the cage, but their personalities out of the cage. And they get, you know... I'm talking about male fans because, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about that at the moment, but that, that there's male fans out there that will just be so looking forward to, to Rose Namajunas versus Zhang Wei Li. Like, that's yeah. that's going to be one of my fights of the year. We gave 100%. Laura Checkley that Zhang Wei Li, Joanna Jacek fight to watch. Yeah. That was 2020 fight of the year. Yeah. Did, do you know the story of why Rose shaved her head? I know. I, I don't be- think be- I do, actually. Be- because you mentioned Rose... I love Lauren again. It's it's a sign of of a good podcast. Is I'm wanting to jump in and be part of the conversation of the time. Go, go. When anyone that's not into MMA has probably switched off. They've tuned off. But if you're into it, get involved. It's why I left it till the end because me and Stu have had so many complaints when we're doing a podcast together that isn't MMA based. If we get onto MMA, so we'll just be brief and then we talk for an hour about that. But um, so Rose was fighting. um, I what's her name? She recently left and went to. To bare knuckle, um, Paige Van Sant. P- Paige, that's right. Was was fighting Paige Van Sant, and Paige again, a lovely girl, but very much that she was like the blonde model yeah. type, and was being p- pushed as such. And she was raising some money for ch- for charity, and was going to shave her head when she raised a certain amount. And she got there, and then her sponsors turned around and said, "Look, we don't want you to, to shave your head." because of this so we'll just pay the pay that amount to, to the charity all good all done and then rose turned up at the next event with her head shaved because she was like i'm not a model i'm a fighter and this is yeah. functional and I, I don't it's not about image it's yeah. about who you are inside for me and she was just just gave the best most equally sounding hard as nails and just the, like the most beautiful human in the world all at yeah. once. So yeah, she shaved it just to kind of prove that that shouldn't be a thing. That yeah. you know how you look shouldn't be a a, a, a leading factor. Um, no. But yeah, she's wonderful. She's she's amazing. I'm a huge fan of her, and I I just think that you know in in terms of as we say in gender equality within a sport, uh, you you got Amanda Nunes probably earning more than a lot of her the vast majority of her male counterparts at the yeah. moment and then the I was saying this to Czech Lee as well that the, the two biggest stars in the in the sport to date 
in terms of transcending the sport would be obviously Conor McGregor. And then second to that would probably be Ronda Rousey. And so, 100%. And I think, you know, I think the, there's still a way to go, but I completely agree. I think there are the, these big stars. I think there's more male fighters on every card than there are female fighters. And yep. there's more male fighters at a higher level than, than female f- f- fighters. But that's simply more because... More weight classes as well. And more more weight classes, but it's simply because it's been a male sport f- for longer. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's been it started twenty five years ago for men. It only became a women's sport maybe ten years ago with Gina yeah. and 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 Cyborg. Yeah, and then R- Ronda took it to the next level, and then Amanda Nunes as well with inspiring a young yeah. female athletes to go down this route, as you say where you could be earning more than m- most of the men in the sport yeah. and purely on your own m- merits as well. It's yeah. It's, yeah. And, it's a wonderful thing. And you said that you said a fabulous thing on our podcast, I think. So I'm sorry to steal your words, but uh, you were talking about how the UFC could probably do more with pushing Amanda Nunes. Cause she's the first ever openly 100%. gay UFC champion. She's a two weight world champion. She's married to uh, another female fighter in the another UFC, Nina Ansaroff. Again, it's, I know. it's mad. There's so, so the much there them... that should be done with that. Yeah, I mean, and they've just had their first baby. Like, yeah. you can't get any more away from that kind of toxic, masculine misconception of the sport than the biggest female star in the sport at the moment is a gay... A woman with a, a, a two two belts around her waist, yeah. and she's married to another fighter, and they've just had a baby together. Yeah, like, I mean that's it, so progressive. Again, just simply the optic of she's just smashed it and won her <laughs> her latest fight in really quick and seemingly quite easy fashion, oh. and then is celebrating in the octagon with her two belts, with her wife, and with their baby. Oh. It's so beautiful. It's and a beautiful thing that should be pushed far more. To get rid of the image of of, yeah. of MMA or UFC in particular being blokes, yeah, beating each other up. I think Ronda is is more important than even she gets credit for because I think she gave yeah. so much credibility to the sport because she was an Olympian and she was yes. the 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 first high profile Olympian to get a belt um, and 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 to absolutely do- dominate in the sport. And I think people respect the Olympics as an athletic endeavour. So when these athletes are coming over to this cage fighting, people are going, what? How's how's that work? And then you come and see that other than a few heavyweights, you have to be an absolute athlete. You have to be absolutely disciplined. Even in recent years, we've seen guys who've got the strength and the power or whatever else and the charisma, but if they've not got the discipline, it's not going to be a career because... You you need that and yeah, you can't you. Can't, that's the other thing is like, look, I'm not a huge fan of boxing, so I can't speak as well on boxing as I can on MMA. But I, I it feels like with with boxing, yes, it's the sweet science, and there's so many attributes to being a good boxer. But at the end of the day, you've got two weapons. Whereas with two weapons mar- and two, two targets, weapons, uh, yeah, you can hit the head or the body. Whereas mixed martial arts is, well, I mean, you've got 
at least eight weapons in terms of Muay Thai with your elbows, knees, fit, yeah. all that stuff. But then you throw in the grappling exchanges, the submissions, the wrestling. You have to be, you know, a, a jack of all trades to, to kind of dumb it down a little bit. I mean, you you have to be able to do everything to a decent level. And you you can't just play around with that. You'll get found out too quickly. You have to be uber dedicated to mm. so many facets of of martial arts and again i think because it's martial arts there is as much as you hear the trash talk which is usually done just to sell the fights the the vast majority of of hate and trash talk we've seen it recently with um you know dropping references that only the mma fans will know but but michael bisping and luke rockhold yeah. like they've had a heated rivalry for years and years and years and as fans we bought into it and we were like oh god they hate each other this is gonna kick off and then the other day they bump into each other at the gym and they're having a laugh and bisping's like stroking luke rockhold's dog yeah that's not a metaphor for anything that's just <laughs> that's li- literally stroking his dog um but uh, i mean you know that could also be a 10th planet Brazilian jiu-jitsu technique. Yeah. <laughs> Stroke the dog. <laughs> yeah. They have such bizarre names there. But, um, yeah, I think you're completely right. And you see it, as you guys have touched upon in on, on the MMA fan podcast, the fact that even if there is a heated rivalry, normally at the end they're hugging each other. Often yeah. often in the fight they're hugging each other and going, yeah. cool, you know, we've got – we've come here and we've both given our all. So, yeah, it's a wonderful I- thing. It is a wonderful thing, and to 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 bring it back to kind of like like the psychological side of that, because I, I had a I went on Paul McKenna's podcast a while ago, and um, I can't remember exactly the answer he gave me to this, but I kind of sort of asked him as well, what is it about? I don't know if you would call it like conflict resolution or whatever. When like like especially when you when you're younger, you you get into a fight and it somehow seems to solve an issue. Like, and I'm not yeah. saying that anyone should go and do that ever, you know, but I don't know what it was like for you. But growing up in the areas that I did, it was quite a tough area and the the threat of violence was quite real walking down mm. the street or whatever. Yeah. But I particularly remember being at school. So I was only young. It wasn't like a real thing. But me and this other lad, even though we were in the same friendship group, we'd always rub each other up the wrong way. We 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 would not get on. And I felt a little bit bullied by him. And it got to the point where I just went, I've had enough of this. And I I sort of said, well, come on then, let's go. Let's go. Because I, I, I felt like I'd, I'd had too much abuse. And I was like, I'm just going to snap now because I'm either just going to cry or I need to, to, to stop, physically stop you saying these things about me. Yeah. And we got into what can probably only be likened to what it was like for for Jay and Simon in the in-betweeners fighting in Malia or whatever it was, where there was like the weakest headlock ever, a couple of little slaps. Like it was not a fight. It was quite pathetic. I love um, those school fights that involve a really long headlock. Like that headlock lasts for ages. Absolutely ages. And you're just kind of both stuck because if he lets go of the headlock, you can maybe pick him up but yeah. or, or something. But if he if he keeps, if you, don't know, if he keeps hold of the headlock, then he still doesn't have to do much else. I, I don't know. It's a weird thing. It's a really weird thing. Yeah. But, uh, but after that moment, we seemed to be all right with each other. And I don't know what it was. Nothing changed. We just suddenly started being like, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And slowly we started becoming more friendly with each other. 
And I don't know why that is. To this day, it kind yeah. of baffles me because nothing in me changed. He just maybe stopped taking the piss out of me more, maybe because he thought, oh, well, it's, it's effort. Because even though it's a shit fight, it's still a don't fight. I don't necessarily... Fight. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe he just thought, oh, it's not worth it. But then we sort of became friends. I remember us p- playing tennis one day. We went down to Southwark Park yeah. In like the school holidays, and and the, we we did not like each other. And then I think some of the other mates in our friendship group found it really weird. It's like, why are those two hanging out now? Like I thought they didn't like each other. And so, so with it, so I don't know the psychology of why that does it because it's not the first time I've heard that. That like, oh, they kind of had a fight or a big argument or something, yeah, and, and it, it got it out up. of their system, and now yeah. they're all right with each other. So, and, and I'm not I'm definitely not saying that people should should use that as a way to. As conflict resolution, don't get into but a headlock no, a, fight. I but, mean, a, a, a fight can be the extremes, simply the 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 addressing of an issue rather than the ignoring of an issue. So that yeah. might be a fight, or it might be a heated conversation, dis- yeah. debate, or discussion. So, but yeah, I think yeah, it makes tons of sense because it it stops it be- being s- s- something in your head. It lets yeah. it out of your head, right? You've you've then had that in the real world, and in a way, you've both you've gained each other's respect or at least the the respect has changed in some way. Yeah. And yeah, it is an interesting one, but again, you, you hear it constantly in, in MMA of people losing to someone and then going and training with them. Yes. Yeah. And again, you'd think in the, the macho world of men fighting, that's the last thing that happened, but they go, Oh man, I couldn't get past the, that, that at all. I need to learn, learn what you were doing here. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, I'll 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 wrap things up there, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Where can people keep up to date on things and and see what you're up to and see what's next? Yeah, uh, Instagram and and Twitter, the usual places. Just I'm sure if you type it, I don't even know what my Twitter handle is off the, back, the top of my head. Just type in Blake Harrison, that'll come up somewhere. It'll um, turn up. It'll turn up somewhere, won't it? And then obviously the main one at the moment is. Um, is the MMA Fan Podcast. And uh, also, I'm going to give a cheeky little shout out for my wife here because uh, she um, she's started her own podcast. To any parents that are still listening post to the MMA chat, uh, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you have a child that's struggling to sleep, check out Your Floating Bed, which is a, a bunch of uh, like 20 minute long podcasts that are all kind of guided meditations and positive affirmations for for young kids that are struggling to sleep like my daughter was struggling to sleep early in the the pandemic i think things were just getting a bit much not seeing grandparents and all that stuff and this weird thing that was going on and my wife started kind of just doing these guided meditations for her these sleep journeys and it would really work and so my wife started recording them and and putting them out as podcasts because she knows a few mates from the school like mums at the school that were having similar issues with their kids and and yeah so you know if there's any kids out there that are are struggling to sleep and you're a parent of one of those kids check out your floating bed because it might really help them out maybe that sounds amazing i love that well thank you very much for your time mate it's been it's been a pleasure pleasure's all mine anytime You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. 
There we go. That was Blake. Thank you for tuning in. I'm going to keep this outro brief. I've told you all the stuff you need to know in the intro. But yeah, Patreon, speechofrelevantrecords.com, all the good stuff. I'll be back next week with another fantastic guest. Until then, ta-ta.